0: And we are live with our 39th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi.
1: Hey everybody. Welcome back once again. Um 39th episode. We're pretty stoked about it. I decided to to liven things up a little tonight, you know, with my uh, ugly sweater. My Darth Vader ugly sweater, of all things. Like so if you're Darth listening, Vader. you're going to have to, like, go and actually find a picture of it. Maybe we'll make it the the, the, the main image. Um, tonight, we're super excited that Jerry Gamblin is joining us once again. Uh, Jerry was our first ever guest on Absolute AppSec. And, you know, now we're, we've grown to, you know, great proportions and, you know, dozens of us that are here gathered together. So welcome back, Jerry. Thanks for coming on again.
2: Happy Tuesday, guys. I'm glad to be here.
1: Yeah. I know Jerry's had some changes, uh, like in his... I can't remember if you had joined Kenna already when we talked last time. I think you were still at um, your previous position, yep. the last time we talked. So we can talk. We can kind of talk about that a little bit before we jump into AWS reInvent and your experience out there. Um, but uh, besides that, uh, I am starting to send out Absolute AppSec t-shirts. So Jerry, we'll grab your address. Uh, Those of you that are listening that have been on before, let us know or or send me an email. I'm going to, I'm trying to follow up and get addresses, but if you want one sooner, hit us up on Slack or whatever else, and we can, uh, we can get that address and send it over to you, to everybody. Um, Let's see, Uh, Ken, anything else before we jump in? No, I just think that Jerry was going to lead us
0: into our uh, substitute for our normal app Minute and talk a little bit about. Breach fatigue.
2: This conversation happened at lunch today. We were uh, sitting around and just trying to remember all the breaches that have happened in the last, you know, two months and, and the list gets pretty long. Amazon had a big breach where they were, they lost a bunch of email addresses and customer data for people. Quora just happened. HSBC. I, I think if you just go back and look over the last two months, there's probably been eight breaches of more than a hundred million accounts. At what point do people stop caring and it doesn't even make the news. When's a major corporation going to be able to lose a hundred million records and it, it doesn't even make a blip.
0: I mean, it depends on who we think it matters to, right? Like if you're talking about the businesses, obviously financial loss and reputation. Maybe that's a bit of a I I mean, I think it was, um, at upset Cali, uh, what was his name? Uh, I can't remember famous car hacker. Uh, I did a lot of iOS exploitation. Charlie. I can't remember. What's that? Charlie Miller. Charlie Miller. Thank you. Charlie Miller gave a talk where he showed that basically like, you know, as places were breached, their stocks, did this and then went way up like every single time. Like it actually almost seemed like you made money in the long run from a breach. So, um, correlation, not being, you know, causation. Right. But, um, yeah. So like, I guess, are you talking about the individual? Like I, from, from what I believe, I think individuals only care about like basically not like, credit, you know, credit card information or things like that. But, um, more so like I'm trying to, how to, how to like phrase this delicately. If you stole images of them in, uh, whose podcast
1: is this? Just say, yeah.
0: well, if you got people's nude pick, nudie pics, then yeah, they would probably care about that. But besides that, you know, like I don't think anybody else, uh, uh, I don't think a lot of people care about cause like financially you just get reimbursed. Uh, everybody probably at this point has free credit reporting because just about everybody in the U.S. has been breached, right? Or like has done business with someone who's breached. So I really don't know the answer to that question. I think unless it's like, like I said, nudie pics, and uh, I mean I think the uh, the other breach that mattered was the uh, what was the one where people cheat on each other online? Uh, Ashley Madison. There yeah. you go, Ashley Madison. That obviously basically any dirty little secrets like that people care about, but like credit card information, addresses, and stuff like that. I don't think people give a shit. True yeah. we
2: iCloud hacker that's probably had one of the longest sentences I've seen, right? Like the guy who was popping all the celebrities iCloud three or four years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that seemed to actually have somewhat of an effect, right? Uh, like it was there. It, it was more than just like the disclosure. And then two days later, no one remembered about it. I mean, no one's even talking about Marriott Starwood, uh, you know, yeah. that one. And that goes back to 2014. Um, You know, and then you start talking about some of the other bigger breaches and people re-release things on, right. Whether it's like yahoo.com and all those other ones that have happened. I, I mean, as a security professional, it's hard for me to care anymore. Right. I know that, you know, like people that aren't in the industry are just like, eh, you know, who, it doesn't matter. Right. And Ken's right. As far as the nude, you know, the nude pics go and the selfies and along those lines, that's where people actually actually care and would actually be concerned about it at, at some level. At least that's.
0: Yeah, I'm going to share that article that you, you had mentioned, cause I thought that was fascinating, yes. but yeah, you should yeah, go ahead and that.
1: share it. And yeah, we'll mention it. Cause I, I, that was one that I, I read recently. It was vice.com. Uh, millennials in China are, using nudes to secure loans. So basically the the loan servicer is asking for nude pics of these millennials and use, and that is the collateral for the loan. So if they don't pay things back, then they release those nudes to their friends and family, right? So they find them on social media. I, you know, I wonder how much of that is like I didn't dig into a lot to the specifics, but how much of that is they have to be connected to them social on social media as well, um, and it almost goes into that social scoring, the social media number that the Chinese government is putting into place now as well, right? It, it's very big brotherish, but I mean, I guess why not, right? Nude pick of you, and how much is that worth if it gets out? Extortion as a service. Extortion as a service, sweet. So you you want to bring that to the U.S.? Is that what you're saying? You know. <laughs> Could be next startup idea. We'll see. There you go, next startup. I mean, you know. what do you think,
0: uh, both on like from a business standpoint as well as the uh, customers of these businesses, uh, Jerry?
2: I I have problems with these payday loans that we stores we have in the United States they are charging the the people who can afford it the least like fifteen hundred percent interest. So I think it's I think it's a social. It's taking advantage of social norms, right? Like in the Asian culture, they're very private, so so those so they're going to hold that over here. And then in the United States, I don't think that would work as well. So we just have people who charge, you know, eighty dollars on a three hundred dollar loan to somebody who can't afford it. It's I think it think gets cultural more than anything. Yeah. That's yeah.
1: An yeah. I mean, we've got the predatory lending that goes on here for sure. Um, and I know like what the consumer financial protection bureau or whatever is supposed to help fight some of that, but it's still available. Right. And you know, you've, there's, there's always been that element in the U S whether it's the loan sharks or whatever else you want to talk about. It's just more kind of business commercialized nowadays, but yeah i I would agree like people probably wouldn't use a nude selfie in the u.s as collateral because they're sending it to everybody you know their friend group as it is you know yeah as much as you try to discourage that but i mean
0: i mean what do you think of like the uh the the insurance that the cyber cyber insurance what do you guys think about that as
1: a business or as a consumer
0: well meaning well no, no, no. As, as, like as a business purchasing the, like, the protection or whatever it is. Like, you know, basically, if we do, because some places it's if you do an assessment, you get insurance. And mm-hmm. then I don't know if you can just like buy the insurance on its own, but like I'm curious what your thoughts are.
2: Anecdotally, I I don't know if I like like both sides of this, but what's it going to be when you get breached? Is it going to be like if you're in a regular car wreck and you're. Agent is looking for every way to not pay pay that. Oh, you're in a parking lot. We don't cover your car if you're in a parking lot because that's private, right? Like, so say you're breached, they're gonna be like, Well, you didn't patch your jQuery instance. So that was negligence on your part. So so writer 37BC says that we're only responsible for 10% of this claim. It's like it's insurance is good in as a big idea, but like In practice, you'd have to see how that works and, and where, where the responsibility splits between the insurer and, the and, and the consumer.
0: Yeah. I mean, I heard anecdotally of one company who gave offered insurance as an add-on with an assessment. And then they said, you know, as long as your code doesn't change after this commit, then (laughs) then you're insured, which I'm like, what, you know, how does that work? Uh, so that's the only, I'm just not familiar with anybody having purchased the insurance.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know that like, we've had some friends that do, um, I'm trying to think that work for like legal firms and things like that. Right. Some of those people that are back in DC, Ken, in your area, Mm -hmm. uh, I I know some of those have been involved in cyber insurance claims, like on a smaller scale. Uh, but realistically I, I'm kind of with Jerry is it seems like there's so many loopholes when it comes to patching software and standing things up on your network. They, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't ever see it paying out. Yeah. It's a good uh, marketing effort. Right. And, and something that you could market to people is, Hey, we have cyber insurance. So if your data is ever leaked from us, then you'll, you'll be covered. But, um, But at a minimum, I think at most anything anybody's going to get out of that is going to be their credit monitoring, right? Because that seems to be the only thing that a company does anymore is five bucks and whatever.
2: Yeah. To be honest, like I think that liability insurance is really the, the cyber insurance for most corporations in America based on what I've seen, right? Like being on both sides of it, that's always a question I asked when I was buying services was like, Oh, we need you to have 5 million dollars of liability coverage it's not it was not cyber insurance coverage but it basically acted in that capacity
0: yeah i mean i wonder how they determine what you get reimbursed for is it because you purchased you know you purchased credit reporting for all of your customers is it for legal costs like i don't know what that what you would even get reimbursed for and like how that determination's made right because like Yes, there's some immediate upfront costs, but then you got to think about like, which again, not a lot of data out there points to the fact that you're, you're going to.
1: Yeah. As a business, why even purchase it? Right. That's, that's just
0: it. It does depend because I know that at least one customer who I always talk about with AWS security went out of, went out of business because of being breached and not being able to recover. I don't know if like even financially getting reimbursed, that would have even helped. Um, I guess the the one thing that's interesting is if you do buy it, then I'm assuming that you have to get a health checkup. Just like when I buy like life insurance, they wanted to take my blood pressure. They did. They took my blood work, you know, had to get a physical and all of that. And um, uh, I guess it's the only positive thing I can really think of is that, you know, kind of force somebody to, do a checkup like that, but I, you know, is that a reason to do a checkup? No, you can do that without insurance. So
2: and they're just, anyways. outside of just medical stuff, those are so much snapshots, right? Because a month later it's going to, in security and in it anyway, it's going to be different, right? Like you could test clean one day and be okay. And then a month later run the same test and, and be terrible, terrible. Poor. Days yeah. later.
0: Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. the the way code changes, the way infrastructure changes these days could be a day later. Could be yeah.
2: completely different.
1: No. no, and it definitely is. So I, I mean I think we're dig- we're digging pretty deep into the cyber insurance and I you know, I don't I don't think it necessarily changes the whole breach fatigue uh discussion that we're having, right? Cause it yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter if Marriott's got cyber insurance, right? At this point. But were we how was that their employees or customers? Customers. Like how many how many hundred millions of customers? I uh, I'll, I'll pull it up. I'll find a link and we'll post it. I thought it was um, like 500 million or something like that records. Yeah. Yep.
0: But it's you know what? I know it sounds terrible,
1: but like I'm a Marriott Rewards member and uh Yep. 500 million guest reservations. So, so I, I don't know how many unique guests that translates to, but it's it's now, this is how you make
0: that interesting. You post that and then allow someone to search it to see if their spouse was ever at a Marriott hotel Mm -hmm. when they shouldn't be going back (laughs) to the Ashley Madison thing. See business idea. There you go.
2: (laughs) Did they ever figure out who had this? Like, is that, has there been any attribution at all?
1: I don't don't know. Yeah. I I haven't heard that there is, right. I I haven't heard that anybody's claimed or, I mean, are there really still hacking groups that are doing that? Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's not the same as it was. I mean, but you got to do something
2: with the data, right? Like the, the actually Madison database was dropped online. You know, the, the big government database with everybody's, you know, top secret clearance forms. Nobody's heard anything about that. Right. Like, is this the same thing? Does the government use Starwood hotels a lot for their VIPs? And there is a, you know, a nation state who really wanted that information. Yeah. Who this is, and it's not, you know, some kid in a hoodie.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, that's just it. You, you do, we do see. That would be an interesting research project in and of itself, right? Okay, we have all these breaches how much data are we actually seeing leaked out publicly from those breaches? And can can we determine from that whether or not, you know, who the actors are, if it is a nation state versus, you know, a hacking group in the Middle East or, you know, Russia or whatever? Um, I mean,
2: that's kind of the way I break it down. If it's publicly released, it was not not an amateur. It was a whatever hacking group or whatever. If, If you see like, oh, 500 million records were stolen and you've not seen them on pastebin, somebody had a reason to steal those and they're, they've used them for their own good. And you're probably not going to see them float up online in three weeks. Right. Like, like they're gone. Use is gone.
1: Oh, well, I've always thought about like, you know, we've got all these breach reports and I've also thought competitive intelligence, right? Like why is, why, why hasn't, you know, I mean, we're talking Marriott, maybe it was Hilton, right? That just decided they wanted reservation information for Marriott. And, you know, went and hired some vigilante group or whatever to actually go get that data for them. I, I, I don't think that we've necessarily talked about that very much as an industry, but I, I do think it goes on more than we realize, whether it's an internal group at a company or somebody else. Uh, the corporate espionage is alive and well, and that that's a treasure trove, trove of information. It is. Yeah, and there are a lot of breaches that
0: don't even get talked about, so let alone if they're corporate espionage, you know, like, and how do they even prove that? you right. Like sometimes, you know, if they're, if they're hiring, um, like you said, some vigilante group or rogue group or whatever, I don't know. People with black hoodies in a room,
2: you know, <laughs> yeah. it's I mean, very dark. When was the last time there's been a major breach that wasn't self-reported? Like just running back, uh, Marriott was self-reported or was self-report. Like I've not seen one of those, you know, 2013 anonymous types of hacks where it's, we have all your data, here it is on Facebook, right? Like, I haven't seen one of those in the last year.
0: Yeah. yeah I, think so. I think part of it is that, like, when people get access though these days, like, from what I've seen, again, anecdotally, it's the Bitcoin Bitcoin mining has become like the, the way people make money. Right. And that's when someone's breached, that's usually like, I know it's different with like data being stolen, but even in that case, like there were, there were hospitals uh, just in the last few years that paid, paid uh, for ransomware um, that had taken over their systems. I mean, you you know, there's, there's definitely folks out there paying for those records to be for it, not to be disclosed and to get those records back. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's, that, in my mind, is probably why you you know if you're not going to hear about it, it's probably because someone's paying someone to keep quiet, or a breach was more about mining bitcoins and using the assets to mine bitcoins. That's what do I know?
2: I mean, yeah. You you work at the the largest you know conveyor of AWS credentials in the world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't it's them or or uh, Pacebin, right? You know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. So I was, I was just scanning. You know, uh, speaking of you know, self-reporting versus you know, forced reporting. Krebs is always good on that, right? And if anybody, you know, Krebs on security, it looks like he had one in November. The United States Postal Service that actually leaked account details, but it wasn't reported by the USPS. It was reported by an anonymous researcher.
2: Oh yeah, no, the the researcher used him. You know press as a service, right? Like the, yep. the, that, that was, see that all the time, right? Like he'd found the vulnerability, emailed everybody he could and they didn't respond to them. And I think Krebs even said in the story within like three days they had the vulnerability fixed after he reached out, right? Like that was yep. that was a white hat researcher just like, hey, this is a serious deal, not being able to get any traction because he didn't have a big enough following.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: When you had mentioned, uh, I went quiet there for a second when you mentioned GitHub and AWS tokens, but there was a very specific reason. Um, I wanted to verify that it was actually public um, knowledge. So I put the link to our documentation that says, hey, this is in beta, but uh, the uh, uh, we're doing token scanning uh, for um, for AWS keys, Azure, GitHub, Google Cloud, Slack, and Stripe.
2: Yeah, no, I saw that. That's why I meant to that. That's a really handy service. Yeah.
0: Okay. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't actually my, I wasn't even sure if that was like, I couldn't remember if it was public or not. Cause it was, cause I think it was around, I think it would have been released at universe or discussed at universe around that time, which would have been mid October. So if it was disclosed.
1: Cool. Yeah, that's, that's definitely useful anyway. All right. So that's breaches. I guess, for now, until tomorrow when another one happens, or later today. You wanted to disclose something. Is that right, Jerry? That's what you were saying, right? You had some breach. They wanted to... (laughs) Okay. So let's let's move on to... uh, Actually Jerry, you know, do uh, you want to just give us a little bit of background on yourself I, if people haven't, you know, didn't catch up with that initial interview that we had where you're working, what you're currently doing and then we'll jump into reinvent.
2: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Jerry Gamble and I'm the principal security engineer at Kenna Security. We we help bring intelligence to vulnerability data. You guys know this, everybody that's listening to this podcast knows that Every company has more vulnerabilities than they can fix, and the question you always get is what do I work on first and we help both appsec teams and vulnerability management teams answer that question every day and it's it's the reason i cho- I chose to come here
1: that's yeah i mean, i mean it's a it's a noble pursuit for sure right uh, you know just being able to to give them a priority, give someone a priority list, right? We're always asked like as consultants or security engineers, Hey, you know, what's the, what's the biggest risk that I can take care of. And uh, you know, most of the time it's so objective when I, when I'm turning over a report as a consultant, because my, my scope is so narrow. I mean, Ken when you're embedded on a team or where you were previously, Jerry, it's easier because you, you understand the full scope of what's going on, but definitely as a consultant, I don't necessarily have that same purview into an, into an organization. So it's very, it's very arbitrary.
2: And the number of vulnerabilities are just increasing because people can name their own CVEs now. And you know, what was the last figure that we had that like 80% of all CVEs are are nine and above, right? Like, so there's no pick this number and work on everything above that. You really have to be, be really dialed in on what's important to patch on your network what can wait
1: yeah yep well cool uh and you've been at kenna for how many months now 9 months 9 months sweet yep. yeah it's been it's been fun to watch as you've been like online the the research and stuff that you always post right but definitely uh, you can tell that the there's been a shift in kind of your focus isn't as much on uh the corporate side it's more on consulting and you know the other things that are going on so. <laughs> You know what was funny was you you said uh, this was just
0: like I don't know a month ago or so. You were like, okay, because you went quiet for a little bit. Um clearly you were heads down working, and then uh, you're like, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start messing with some stuff. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of like basically what you said on Twitter. And then next thing you know, <laughs> there's like all these headlines about you and Google. And uh like that was that was pretty funny to watch because it was literally like for me, it felt like I watched you say, Hey, I'm going to start messing with stuff on like one weekend. And by like Wednesday or whatever, I'm just kind of making this up, but that's what it felt like. Like by Wednesday, you're like on the headlines of different, you know, tech outlets for having screwed up Google's, uh, home products or API for the home product. It was hilarious.
2: I was, I needed to get like some some stuff done at work right after DefCon, so I was like, okay, I'll just do try to keep off the research until October first. So October first came back around, I'm like, okay, let's go. And I look over and I have a Google Home Hub that just came out. I'm like, oh, wonder what this thing does. I'm like, well, it was. It was like three days later. It's like, okay, this is this is fun. Yeah, love talking to Google.
0: Yeah, it was. It was so. I was like, so like, okay, cool. You're you're back at it. And then immediately after, it was just, it went nuts for, for, from the things you, you talked about. So, which was, which was surprising because it was like, uh, um, you would have assumed some of these things would have been, uh, that you wouldn't, you, I would have assumed I wouldn't have seen that in a Google product. Sure. Some like, um, you know, like not name brand or like you know, there's cheaper versions of stuff. Like there's cheaper versions of Nest and all that. I, Yeah, cheaper versions, like knockoff stuff. I would have assumed, but like, holy crap! Like Google product, it was weird.
2: Yeah, and the fact that their their response was, "Oh, this needs to be behind on your home network, which isn't accessible to the internet." Like valid point, but that's not a layer of security, right? Like,
0: yeah, nobody ever messes up their wireless security settings, and on, yeah, plug
1: and play,,
2: oh, yeah, so the printer to the internet like we are running through that again, that's always fun. those guys are back,
1: yep, yeah, so uh, I mean, so you looked at the Google home, uh, you released that, uh, you know, is there anything else that you're working on before we get to reinvent that you know has been interesting?
2: Nothing that I, I that's ready for public consumption yet. There'll be some stuff in January that hopefully we'll, I'll be able to roll out. But trying to be good, you know, <laughs> it's, that's that's the hardest thing, right? Like responsible disclosure is is great in, in theory until you have to sit on something for forty five days. Yep, and and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're not hearing and like. I, I've seen both sides of it, right? Like I know why teams need that much time and they can't pivot and your bug's not the most important bug, but I also know what it feels like to have something really cool that you found and you just have to sit on it and let, and let the corporate, you know, machine fix it. And then hopefully at the end you can, you can drop your research.
0: Well, yeah. you know, John Pullen, uh, John Pullen, um, had to sit on a rails vuln for over like a year. It was, I think it was more than a year. I think it was like 14 months or I don't know, something like that. It was long time. And the same thing, it was just like, when is that going to be? And then finally got a CV and it was disclosed, but it, and fixed, but it took forever, which is like kind of scary in an open source product to have some, something that's so that was so bad. And then you like wonder, I, here's here's what I actually it was just a couple days ago. As I was like, I was like, you know, you've been. I was thinking in my head, you know, you've been in security too long. When every time you do an update on your software, you don't think, oh, I wonder what new features it has. You're like, oh, I wonder if I'm backdoored. You know, I wonder <laughs> how shitty the security was and what's being fixed now. Well, that so
2: that was Zoom update. Tenable dropped that research this week. Like they dropped a a giant backdoor into Zoom and the the patch from Zoom said bug fixes.
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like remote exploit and the breakdown was super interesting. In fact, let me find the link and, and post to it. But yeah. Super interesting. And then, I mean, it, it's still the same. I should I should clarify. The, the, the exploitation, it's not like... It was interesting, but it's not like this hasn't been seen over and over and over and over again. But um, yeah it was that's a perfect example of like some client software um or some some uh, software uh running that locally not a website sorry that uh yeah you update and it's because it had some super critical issue
2: yep. it just gets interesting, like when do you decide that your vulnerability is dangerous enough that you know if they're not fixing it in fourteen months. That you think that it needs to be fixed so you release it publicly, right? Like like that's the that's the razor's edge for security professionals, right? Because you know one tweet will get will get your Rails vulnerability prioritized and fixed, but it also breaks a bunch of trust. Like where would that have to be?
1: Yeah, that's I well, and that's always been the question with responsible disclosure, right? Is is how long is long enough? Um you know, you've got the people that, that wait 30, 45 days and just say, Hey, you have this long to fix it, and then I'm just going to release. Because, hey, you know, if you're not fixing it in that time, it means you're not classifying it high enough of a of a risk that you're actually going to do anything about it. So I'm going to force your hand.
2: Um, it was the guy who found, like, what Mac OS exploit was that last year where you could hit enter three times on a root prompt and it would just <laughs> let you through? Like, yeah. the right way like if i would have found that like that would have been hard to keep in like in your back pocket for 45 days as apple trying to figure out what the problem with that was
1: well I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure he used it over and over for that 45 days though <laughs> hey guys check this out ha 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 walks away you know
0: <laughs>
1: but yeah I, that it, it's hard i like it is definitely kind of a a hard line to walk when you're, when you found that stuff. Um, not to go back too far, uh, well, I don't know what uh, uh, Dave Corsi brought up the Atrium breach. I'm not sure even what that one is, right? It's only two, like I say, it's only 2.65 million records. Um, somebody trying to pull stuff off AccuDoc, but, um, I haven't heard about it. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I, um, put the link, uh, to that um because the other one had an ad blocker thing by the way don't get me started on sites that say like oh you're using ad blocker so you like need to have a subscription now like poor shit but anyways um yeah post another link but like the weird thing is we had that huge breach and and i think like i'm not sure if we ever figured out exactly like sorry, the huge, the huge, uh, what was it like blue cross blue shield or something like that? Anthem and, uh, like tons of social security numbers and everything, uh, stolen and medical info. And like, I wonder if that's actually ever, I I haven't heard anything about that actually being used that data being used, but like the, my, I kind of, there were set many theories. One of the, one of the theories was though, was, was that like going back to nation state, this could be used to, uh, to um, to basically exploit people, right? Um, you know. Well that ties in with the
1: whole the whole
0: spy thing. espionage type stuff, right?
1: Oh, what's
2: that? All the breaches. Like you have the OPM data as your base, then you get health data, and then you get financial. Yeah. Like if at the same company had all if the same country had all three of those breaches, you basically have have corporate scoring or credit credit scoring for every individual in the United States, right? From their health to
1: well, and right. then you, you, and you add can, Marriott data to that. Like you've got location data on people, right? Like historical location data on where people are traveling and what they're doing, right? It, it becomes, you're building a huge picture. And so it really wouldn't surprise me if it is a nation state that's doing it and just gathering that info and starting to tie it all together somewhere. I mean,
0: admittedly, I've been watching the Americans for like <laughs> the last few weeks now. So I'm a little bit more paranoid than normal but it does feel like it'd be a great way to for for espionage from an espionage standpoint to like
1: cultivate assets right so yeah yeah so you know dave to answer your question no like i guess none of us have really like dealt with it so we'll, we'll talk more on the slack channel about that um so, Jerry, you're, you you've disclosed that stuff. So let's talk about reInvent. Um, I mean, obviously, there was a whole bunch of kind of security news that came out of reInvent. There always is. Um, it's one conference that I feel like when I go to, I, I just I can't see enough, right, just because there's so much that's going on. Um, but I didn't make it this year. Me and Ken, I don't think either of us made it. Uh, but so first of all, like the big big one was that they were going to have just a security conference, right?
2: Yeah, they once again, like they they make security the redheads the children of, of the the platform and and move everybody to Boston at the end of June, which is either tone deaf timing or they have a big database that says that people will go there and then fly out to to Vegas for a week within a month, right? Like like that was the thing that got me when I started looking at the timing. It's like, yeah, that would be cool, but not you know, three or four weeks before I have to go and um go out to Black Hat for a week.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know how that's actually going to run. Like, how how many people are they expecting to be there?
2: 20,000. I mean, they had fifty thousand people at at Reinvent this year. It, it's a ridiculously big conference. It's yeah. A lot of conferences, conferences in Vegas. This is the only conference in Vegas I've seen where they had registration at the luggage claim at the airport.
0: Jeez! <laughs> wow, talk about starting it <laughs> early. You land and then like go get your bag slash register for reinvent. Did they have the gifts there then? Like the they usually give some pretty nice like oh, uh, registration God. gifts,
2: right? Like so, I stayed at the Aria, so I registered at the Aria, but to get my swag, I had to go down to the expo booth because. They wanted people to go to the expo center, but yeah, no swag except that uh, where all the marketing was happening.
0: That's smart on a couple for a couple of reasons, obviously. But yeah, mm. yeah, I don't know. Like that was like one of the big benefits of. Reg- I mean, besides getting your badge, but uh, you know, that was because they give out nice stuff. Like they gave a, they gave an Echo Show the year that we went there. Would they give you this year? Just a hoodie.
2: I mean, they were back down to to hoodies for everyone, which I mean, with fifty thousand people. What
0: do you do? Or I said, I'm sorry, dot not show. Yeah. Hoodie. I mean, they're They've got good hoodies though. Like, I mean the, the hoodies they give out are pretty good quality. I don't know why that matters to me, but no, oh, whatever <laughs> you're paying so much for the ticket. I think is why, like yeah. I want to get something else out of it besides just awesome technical content. Because I'm
2: selfish, I guess. Like, yeah, the tickets are expensive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I am, I am interested to see what reinforce is going to be, um, but man, yeah, the the timing there at the end of June is going to be difficult. Like just personally, I, I realize that that's going to be a, a problem, um, especially with Black Hat coming up. It's probably only like three weeks later, if that.
2: Yeah, that was the first thing that I noticed. It's like the timing is just gonna it's gonna be hard. To do yeah,
1: yeah. You
0: guys don't want to just stay out there for like a month in Vegas, lose your mind.
2: Oh, it's in Boston. So
0: here we go. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Now I'm looking at, I have the link now. Uh, I'm a great listener. Um, Here's the link. I'm putting it in for everyone. in case they're interested. Yeah. That's a, I mean, I don't know. I'm used to traveling. So I don't know. I'd do it. If someone else was paying for it, I would do it.
2: (laughs) I'm not mad about the conference being out there. If they want to have a security conference, that's, that's okay. I'm, if I'm disappointed. It's I hope they don't de-emphasize security at, at reInvent, right? Like re security felt like an actual core part of the platform and there was enough. So like I know that when I went out there at my last job, we had system engineers go to security talks that they normally wouldn't have gone to because they're not offered at the the other conferences they go to. If they're not gonna offer these kind of like how to secure your your AWS account with Lambda functions at reInvent, it, it'll hurt the overall platform. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think that's why we were so excited about reInvent when we initially went is we had security content, like whatever news going on, yeah. but also tied into everything else. So it, I, I get exactly what you're saying is, you know, what's, what is the point of that reinforce then? Is it is it just a, a training conference that they're trying to push people to to learn how like you know learn security on the AWS platform is it deep dives that'll be that'll be the question and then is it going to be well attended enough to maintain itself so going that late i, I mean if if it was something like a Mar- march april time frame i don't think there'd be a question of me attending it right so and i know there's going to be a lot of other people in that same in that same boat
0: yeah, hopefully it's just an addition to, you know, not yeah. detracting from. So, like, what were the uh, most interesting talks that you
2: saw while you were there? The security hub that they're releasing is could be an interesting product. It's super early. They don't have pricing on it, but it brings their 32 uh, security tools that they have spread out through their stuff into, into one pane of glass, into that single pane of glass so that you can see, what your inspector's doing, how your CIS score is, what your guard duty findings are. So that gets built out in a way that it looks like it's gonna be be really handy for security teams. It's gonna be multi-account and really allow you to, to bring all that together in one view. Cool.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, so is it, it's, it's literally just gonna be a UI that wraps all those different services then?
2: I hope not. A, I hope an API. I hope there's an API. Ah. It's really, it's really early. There's going to be a UI, but the API is like, oh, coming soon. So like, I really hope that like the API is scriptable enough to be able to to do some really interesting alerting and stuff with.
0: It kind of so cracks me they... up
2: because,
1: like,
0: I wonder how many businesses AWS has put out of. Yeah, that that was
1: just going to be my question, right? I mean, that sounds like. Um, evident right or some of those other cloud security vendors that are tying all that together and you know compliance standard checks using the configuration items recorded by AWS config right it's the it's very similar granted you know those other products typically do Google and Azure as well right but Amazon's a mm-hmm. big big one.
2: And when you build your business model off of using somebody else's public API, it's probably only a matter of time before they they at least look very hard if they could do it better or cheaper or if they want your revenue stream, right?
1: Yeah. Yep. That's a, that, that's what that feels like to me. Uh, but we kind of, yeah, yeah, a couple of years ago, Ken, when we went, that's probably the same analysis we would have given all those security vendors that we saw, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. You, I mean, and like they register as a partner with AWS. So it's not like AWS is ever unaware of like, <clears throat> you know, who, who, cause most of these places they're, they're selling, I shouldn't say most, I should say at that time that you're talking about Seth, often it was the case where it, you could get it like uh one of these vendors in, in like the, off the marketplace, you could install their AMI or whatever, like, um, and again, they'd be listed as part of the like AWS partners, meaning they had registered and told AWS all about what like the, their business did and all that stuff. So like, yeah, I'm I'm guessing AWS already has like metric data on usage and, you know, they already know about these businesses. And it's like you said, if it gets to be useful enough, why not just do it yourself? But I also think that AWS dog, they they dog food a lot of what they built, right? It's like how, that's why they build a lot of what they build. So it, it it could just as easily be though that there, there are times they need these things and then
2: so they build it. Yep. There's a problem. Machine learning. They're they're pushing that super hard. I'm not sure, you know, why everybody needs machine learning in 2018, but they release so much StageMaker stuff. So you know, and they're starting to to sell models. They uh, they built in house. To companies so it's it's kind of interesting to sit back and try to figure out what their corporate strategy is over the next three years like they came out with firecracker which is their serverless play right like I really wonder how much longer EC2 is gonna be be the leader in that space for them if it still is I mean s3 might be bigger for them but like how long until when you need a need a service on AWS, you go to something like Firecracker or their App View or one of their serverless platforms to setting up something.
0: So, like their serverless play before that was having Cognito API Gateway um, and Lambda, and Lambda being like the real serverless thing. So, like, how does I haven't looked at all at Firecracker? Um, how does that differ from? Uh, you know, from like using that, that API gateway, Lambda kind of uh, those services tied together.
2: Started to dig in. They're micro VMs. It's supposed to be just drop your code and it runs it kind of thing.
1: So think of Firecracker as the back end to Lambda, right? So your Lambda, Lambda tasks actually run inside Firecracker. That's where oh. it comes from. Um, so that's the, that's the small secure sandbox that they've built that actually executes those functions. So they're giving you more access into that than they did previously with Lambda. Um, it starts to, I mean, I'm sure they're looking at all the different like attack profiles, you know, the uh, virtualization and containerization that's going on there. But it does, it does feel like there could be additional attack surfaces being introduced there uh, that we just don't know about yet. But it could be fun to play with. Um, and supposedly it'll be cheaper than EC2, obviously. Right? Otherwise, why why use it?
2: <laughs> yeah, and they have Ruby support for Lambda now, which is which is interesting. Like, they really expanded the languages that can run in Lambda.
1: See, Seth, people use Ruby. <laughs> Just a couple of years behind everyone else. Is that that's right? We got we got to get get back on the Python train after last week. You
0: know. Oh yeah.
1: Well, did we talk? When we, did we talk about
0: Python a lot last week? I, I can't remember.
1: No, it was two Rails guys versus me. That's why.
2: Right. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> we we'll talk. If you see John Pool and ask him about uh, machine learning for EC2 instances scaling, he loves that. That's his favorite new technology. <laughs>
1: sounds like there's more to that than we need to know yeah. about, but okay. Yeah, we will.
2: Because they announced that too, right? That they, they have uh, their auto-scaling groups. You can now turn on machine learning so that it will, I guess, figure out when it needs to spin up more, more EC2 instances automatically.
1: So, yeah. yeah, that sounds kind of fun. So you're trusting Amazon to spin up EC2 instances automatically based on a learning engine that they've written. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there's no way that con- collusion could ever happen in there, right? You know, no, no way. I don't else.
0: see the incentive.
2: <laughs> We're having a bad quarter. Let's tweak this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of machine learning stuff uh, that came out. Uh, I was just looking over. It. So uh, everybody that's listening, jerrygamblin.com, You've got a blog post on there about the different. Different stuff that was announced, and just to go back to, um, you've got machine learning, AI. There's serverless. a serverless
2: there that's really good about well-architected uh, AWS well-defined architecture. That's pretty in-depth. That's a good read. I'm only about halfway through it, but it talks about how to really make sure that that that's where you're at and.
1: You know, when I talk to people today,
2: especially people who want to know, like, what should I be looking at? It's it's how to build end-to-end solutions and cloud providers and be able to, to do that because it's, it's part of the DevSec ops model, right? Like, you have to be able to do almost everything in the cloud. Yeah.
1: No, yeah, that definitely does look good. But, no, when I was doing here. talks on,
0: like, AWS security That was pretty much like in the beginning, I would be like, well, and at the end, like, well, uh, you should also just read the well architected framework because it'll explain pretty much all of this stuff. But like, you know, I guess it's helpful to have somebody who actually did it, but and like show you how they did it. But yeah, it's it covers a lot of bases.
1: Cool. And then it looks like control tower is new as well what is Jesus. control tower did you look at that one jerry what did you hear about it
2: i saw a little bit of it it looks like ansible tower to be completely honest it looks like an automation control platform from from what i remember like they drop a ton of stuff here
1: oh yeah i like even just like my aws updates like daily updates from reinvent i can't ever get through more than like one of those in a day just because it there's so much stuff that they drop and you're you're never sure which what's really relevant to you right so yeah, There's all the scaling stuff um, yeah, so where would you start you know somebody that you know is in a w s from the the things that you learned at reinvent what would be your kind of first hey, you should dig into this
2: I would really go and look at at um the new security hub. I think that that's going to be a big play for a lot of people is trying is, is to kind of get a, finally get a grasp without a third party tool like evident on everything that's in your networks and see if you can, can kind of tighten that up. And, and then from there it's, it's really, this year was all about machine learning. It's, it's all these new SageMaker tools and, outside of there then you just go to the new ec2 stuff
1: okay come on i see managed blockchain in there that's got to be number one right
2: <laughs> no no it's a quantum ledger it's not blockchain
1: <laughs> we have okay, to have
2: right. quantum
0: ledger hmm.
1: <laughs> you can hear you can hear a. Uh, Ken googling in the background, so you're yeah, starting sure. to you're, you're starting to reach Stefan levels here, Jerry. Slow down, come on. No, I'm curious, like what what the hell is a
0: quantum ledger database? Transparent, immutable. So it's it's basically like a smart contract, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm learning, Seth. There you go. You there are. You can be taught. <laughs> Old dogs can be taught new
1: tricks. No, that's yeah. Yeah, That's interesting.
2: It was interesting, but at the end of it, I you kind of feel like you paid eighteen hundred dollars to hear a sales pitch for a week and you did. I mean, I just always figured from the outside that these big like rah rah sales conferences would be free. Like, you know, but this is my third year that I've paid them to go out and hear about their next releases. I guess that's just the way we go now.
1: <laughs> yeah. that's. I mean, I, I mean th- when I look at like the security hub, right, that's my initial reaction is, Hey, that's awesome. But you didn't release it. It's just like preview or whatever. Right. Like, so why are we talking about it yet? Right. Just because you could talk about it at reInvent yeah. um, and get some publicity out of it, I guess. Uh, but that, that was my initial reaction to some of that as it's coming out. If, if I, can click on it and I can't use it yet. It doesn't really, it doesn't change anything for me. It just means, Oh crap. Now I need to put a reminder to go back in there at some point and enable that.
2: It's kind of like Apple marketing. It just kind of like, you know, ever since that, since Steve jobs started doing that, every CEO wants to be on a big stage and like, Oh, one more thing. We now have quantum ledger.
1: (laughs) Yeah. How much of that was written in the last, you know, month and a half just so he had something to talk about. That's what Um, you're saying.
0: AWS writing services like, and that just are dog shit and just releasing it just to like, say they have it. That has just been a repeatable thing. And I like AWS. Don't get me wrong, but like over and over again, it's just, yeah, you'll see services. that just are not fully baked whatsoever and released to the public. And you
2: can't plan, right? Like, in my last place that was the problem right we go out there everybody's super fired up about hosted kubernetes no release date like we're, we're in a semi-corporate environment like if you're gonna gonna like build it was build your own kubernetes cluster or like do you just wait until amazon decides to release this right like sometime in 2018 and you can't plan on that right so getting super fired up about something like even security hub, right? Like I looked at it, saw it was in preview and I'm like exactly what you did. Like, Oh, this will look cool. Maybe hopefully in three months, right. I'll come back.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, the talks about new services weren't like super intriguing. I've only been once. Um, but like the, the ones I did enjoy were when people shared, you know, like their Nike, for instance, had a pretty interesting um, talk where they, using like vault and some AWS services to sort of like maybe like KMS and vault to do swell. I can't remember anymore. Um, that talk could have been a month ago. I wouldn't remember, but, uh, it was good and it was interesting. And, um, let's see, Netflix had some good talks. Like I am, I enjoy the ones where people talk about like what they've done with those services more so than like hearing about new services.
2: If you get a chance, go read Will's blog on IAM credentials. It was, it was really good. He gave a good talk to
0: Will Bankston.
2: Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. He's,
0: he's coming uh, on the show in two weeks, actually, as a matter of fact.
2: Awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're excited to have that. No, but that, I, I think in general, that's, that's our takeaway from most conferences I would say is the, the people it's the practical knowledge, right? The guys that are actually in the trenches doing the stuff. I think that's why I always like the Netflix talks when it comes to cloud security is they're actually talking about what they've done, right? And how they've accomplished it rather than, Hey, here's this shiny new product that we, you know, we're going to be releasing in three or four months. Maybe if the engineers can actually figure out what they're doing, right? Cause we all know how the engineering efforts go. We've been in, we've been involved with those. But the, the guys that are actually doing it and are putting out tools that are in use is a lot more useful in a daily environment, in a corporate environment, than the pie-in-the-sky stuff.
2: Yep. Yeah, I would much rather try to dumb down a Netflix tool than to build up a AWS new release, right? Because Netflix releases some cool stuff, but I'm not Will, so sometimes you have to sit there and look at that for a while and try to figure out how to shoehorn it into your environment.
1: Yeah, yeah, whether or not it's actually useful.
2: Yeah, Chaos Monkey, great idea. There's probably one company in the world who needs something going around deleting their servers.
1: And that's the company that built it, yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. So, it, yeah, I mean, so it's a, that's why it's interesting to talk to somebody that's that's actually gone out. So was there something else there that you, other talks outside of what came out of Amazon that you Like people that you talked to or met with that was interesting?
2: To to be honest, people are kind of like it it almost feels like a tipping point. People are like oh it's like somebody and we're past the decision if I'm moving from my colo or my data center to the cloud now we're in, am I staying in a traditional VM cloud, VPS cloud or am I going to spend this next 18 months moving everything to serverless, right? Like Nobody's having the cloud, no cloud discussion anymore. Now it's the VPS versus serverless discussion. And those are going to be really interesting, right? Because it does a couple of things. If you get rid of all your servers, big corporations are going to start seeing some reduction in staff, right? Like if everything goes to to Lambda functions or, or whatever, right? Like, like you're going to start, don't want to call them wins, but like corporations will start seeing more returns on their, on their cloud investments when they don't have, you know, 10,000, 15,000 EC2 instances. And they're all, all Lambda functions that they only get charged for when they run.
1: Yeah. And I can see, I mean, I can see firecracker going that way as well. Right. I mean, cause it, it is giving you that environment. It's very uh, containerization, right. You only spin up, you do X, Y, and Z, and then you store the data and move on. Um, Right. And you add machine learning to that. And I'm sure this is why Amazon's pushing it, because they can charge a whole bunch. And you don't have to have somebody sitting there and planning on the you know the increase or the decrease in that load. So at some level, where where is it that you pay Amazon to do that for a fourth of the cost that you pay an analyst or somebody else in your on your own team or on your own staff? So I get it. I like I get why it goes that direction. But yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. Yep. That um, right. still, sorry no i i was gonna
0: throw i still remain pretty skeptical on how well it's gonna work like instead of writing this one giant shitty app then like i'm sorry this app that's p- probably perfectly fine and has some security issues um or functional functionality issues like to like oh okay well we're gonna solve that by running you know everything distributed and we're gonna have 30 na- now small apps that you're gonna you're going to be responsible for and, and maintain or 60 or 200 or 300. I just paint me as a cynic. It's, it's fair in this situation.
1: Well, I mean, we've, we're continuing to chip away at the support staff. Right. And I don't know how, you know, when that's going to bite an organization You look at, like that's the whole idea behind DevSecOps is we're getting rid of this kind of server administrator layer that has all these years of experience and we keep pushing all of this back to the developers. We really do. And so it's now on the developer to, you know, spin up environments to actually automate that and then, you know, code themselves out of a job. Well, and it's not even... Yeah. It doesn't even feel like
2: it's the developer anymore, right? Like... You say it's the developer, but in serverless, it's AWS, right? Like, upload your jar, upload your whatever file here, click this button, and we'll run it for you, right? Like, so then the developer doesn't have to be a server administrator anymore, right? Like, you're actually moving backwards, right? Like, you built up DevSecOps, and and Amazon feels like they're trying to, to strip away SecOps again and just have it where you just need a dev, who can point and click in a browser to to run the stack?
1: Yeah, that's fair, right? Uh, yeah, that uh, definitely is getting to that direction, right? Uh, so point it, point them in a GitHub repo, yeah. and it'll run it and it'll figure it out. And all you have to do is a couple configuration things, and they'll protect it, right? Or what? Whatever. Um. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll see how it that actually progresses but it also limits you as a developer on what it is you can actually use right amazon only supports so many of these different frameworks and you know yeah but then you can always go to azure instead that'll be where everyone ends up right ken your company my company my company no
0: i mean uh, there there are many so there are there, there's a definitely a push by everyone right now to make it simple for developers to not have, like you said, administrative overhead or other folks they work with to deploy their code. But like, as and, and clearly there's a belief that that's going to be the big thing. And I, I, there's no stopping it, right? Serverless is out there. But I guess what I'm saying is like, yes, there are certainly circumstances where I can totally see that's going to be beneficial for some folks. But, on the whole, for a large scale product like I mean how many of those different services do you have to have running in tandem and how how manageable is that? I'm not even talking about from like being able to auto scale to handle requests input output I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just like the sheer management of uh that those different code bases um I don't know it just seems. There are certain, like I said, there are certainly instances where that'll work, but there are a lot that it won't uh, as far as my limited view of what I can see the future looking like right now. I'm
2: totally with you. I I just think that it's a five year play, right? Like I said, the, the deal with this year's AWS, it wasn't, it was the first year that there weren't a lot of talks about, are we going to the cloud or not, right? Like the cloud is one. And now I think we're in the VPS versus serverless phase of of the cloud fight, right? Because have you guys ran into anybody who are still having the on premise versus cloud discussion?
0: No, no, not at all. But, um, you know, like one other, uh, I think you're right there. I mean, that's, I don't think that, cause he, I think the last holdout was kind of like the gov, the government with their whole, like, was it, was fed ramp the process for getting or yeah, gov yeah.
1: cloud or whatever that was. Something like that. Yeah, FedRAMP's the certification, but I think GovCloud was the rollout, right? That was FedRAMP certified, so everybody could move. Right. Good. Yeah, and
0: like they were the last holdout on on that, in my mind, you know, because um, if anyone's going to be like super sensitive with good reason about where they're putting their data, like that would and but they switched to using publicly, like switched to using cloud services i think yeah i think you're right about that but like the one thing i can say pretty unequivocally that i do like about these cloud services is that they they remove too much of the the like thought of behind encryption? Like that's always, if you ever talk to developers, like that's always the one thing that everyone like Seth, how many security training courses have you given? And how many of those times is like that? The thing that people that developers point in on is like encryption.
1: Oh, every course it comes up, right. Even if we're just, you know, we got a small module on it. Everybody's always like, well, how did we do X, Y, Z? You know, what do we have to do? What's the bare minimum? I right. And,
2: I'll be the cynic now, right? Like I love AWS and that it makes encryption easy, but proving that it's encrypted and proving that you deleted it are two different things, right? Like somebody, well, like, you're
1: also, yeah. 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 I mean, what you're saying, and then you're also trusting them with the, the key to the encryption.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm, in, I'm I'm sure it's encrypted, but you don't have that same control that you have if it's your own MySQL server or the ability to.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And and again, it goes to like, probably goes back to like, who's who's the 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 customer of of it? it. Like, do I want a startup out of Soho to worry about encryption in their their MySQL or MongoDB? Nah, please let AWS do that. If you're a large financial industry, uh, large financial, and you've got the staff and the expertise, yeah, like for sure. By all means, you know, do it your own way, but uh, just depends.
2: I'll take that. Let's flip it. I'll 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 trust the twenty year olds in Soho to understand how encryption and salting works versus the 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 other guys. But
0: (laughs) that's. I see your point. I see your point. Um, but in theory, like there should be that expertise. I guess I've had, I've seen too many, like I've seen, I've, I've seen inside too many startups. I've seen too many things at this point. It's probably what I should say. Just seen too many things. So I have less trust.
2: Those a dark, dark place. I know. (laughs) Sorry guys. Yeah.
1: I was just thinking about there. There was a recent, I can't remember. It was like a web comic or whatever, but it was, you know, about you know a startup. The security guy—I'm sure it mm, XKCD. Now it's not XKCD anyway. But the you know the the security guy's like, "Hey, we need to think about this." Or the administrator does, and they're like, "No, no, no. We're we're just launching. It's fine. We'll get to that eventually." And then it's like, "Okay, we launched. Now we need to." Oh, no, no, no. We've just got a few users, and then oh crap, there was a breach. Why didn't you make us do this? And it's like we talked about it, right? Like loan. Voice in the wilderness of the security guy. MVP stands for most vulnerable product, right? (laughs) That's quotable. I've (laughs) heard that before.
0: Also, what do you think we'd wear these hats and silly sweaters for? It's to take this dark, dark (laughs) podcast in a brighter direction. (laughs) It's
1: that time of year.
0: It's just too dark. Yeah. Well, at least least Seth isn't drinking tonight now. Actually, you should be drinking. It's the, it's the season,
1: Seth. Where's your it's, high west? It's not open yet. I, ha- I have to do some other things tonight. so We'll, we'll crack, it, yeah. crack it open later. What?
2: Eggnog and high west. There you go. <laughs>
1: eggnog and high west.
0: That could work. That could you know work. I actually don't think I've ever drank high eggnog. Sorry to totally shift, but I don't think I've ever drank eggnog.
2: Let hmm. me pancakes. Just have a little swig, and you're right there.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll be okay. <laughs> a- add some high west to it. You'll be okay. Poor hey, <laughs> gentleman's jack, care. whatever you want.
0: <laughs> I prefer single barrel jack. Oh, there you
1: jack. go. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Single barrel. If we're if we're if we're if we're going that direction, it may as well be what you want it to be.
2: Well, I took a whiskey glass. We're way off topic here, but. There is no size for single barrel. The barrel can be as large as Jack Daniels can make it. They <laughs> still so, call it single barrel.
0: so what's the what's the, what so then what's the um why is it called single barrel?
2: Because they can charge more money for it
0: <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. It does taste great though I'll say that single barrel does taste great
2: it's blended it's not mixed because the other ones are mixed. Like I took a whiskey class in Vegas and like the, the non single barrels can come from multiple batches and they kind of like try to even it out. The single barrel is literally poured from one barrel of any size. What's
0: your current fa- favorite whiskey? Mine's a uh, Blanton's.
2: There's a Cobalt brewery here in uh, Chicago that does small batch stuff, which also small batch. There doesn't matter what size it is. It could be a billion bottles, but it's really good.
0: It just gives it that that air of exclusive exclusivity. How do you spell it? Now I'm curious. How do you spell that company?
2: K O V A L. Okay.
0: Awesome. Looking it up. I don't know. So where'd you take a whiskey tasting or whiskey class at? There's a place off Vegas.
2: It's called like the whisk off the strip in Vegas. It's called like the Whiskey School. And like they just do groups out there. It'd be great for like a DEFCON meetup. Like you do three or four different flights of. of they show you like the Japanese whiskeys, the the Irish whiskeys, and the American whiskeys, and they you know tell you about the differences and similarities and like what makes what and, and like in this room they probably five or six hundred bottles.
0: Is this the whiskey it, attic? Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Sounds like we need to make a trip, Ken. I, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. You read my mind. I'm pasting the link too. We've, to be fair, so,
1: we've posted a lot of links
0: that were technical tonight, but I do think
1: Well, do you think, know, what what one of the initial names for the podcast was gonna be Appsec and Whiskey, so there you go. We're just That
0: was the original idea. We just get shit housed and drink whiskey and <laughs> rant about stuff. Now uh now we're not that far off, but I never drink whiskey, so
2: we have to do this live then we have to like figure out like when you guys have will on like talk to him about letting us do to do that live at b-side san francisco in march
0: Ooh, B-Side San Francisco, that'd be a good idea you no know, i know we like so because we've got a so we we don't have a guest lined up for purposefully for the week of absent cali and um i think we're still trying to put together like what we're gonna do while we're out there but uh, i think it, it would be sort of what you mentioned and i would love to do it again in march with uh with you and and, and will um but yeah like i think in, at upside at cali i want to definitely get some folks together and um figure out how to do it you know That's
2: January, right
0: uh yeah so it'd be january 22nd that i'd be looking at which is yeah, I mean, or just sometime that week. Probably it, it probably couldn't be on that day because I don't think the conference officially starts on that day. I think that's training days, but yeah, that week. We
2: have a lot of conferences.
0: Oh yeah. So many. So many conferences. Uh are you yeah, so speaking of that, what conferences are you going to over the next few months?
2: Um, the only one people on this podcast I care about is I have two talks at B San Francisco. I have some Coming up, um, one on building an application security program and one on automating bug bounty findings or, or, or bug hunting. Just, just some scripts that I've thrown together to kind of automate the new Burp 2.0 stuff. So they should be really good talks. And then, then I have some marketing duties uh, over the next couple of months that will get me to some, some super exciting conferences that nobody listening here will ever go. Oh, yeah. Why is that? Like the Health Information Management Conference in Florida, and
0: you never know. You never
1: know. Maybe people are into that. I don't know. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. You say that, but I actually know people that have gone to that conference. So, you know, we'll send them your way when they they are there. So sweet. Um, let's see where are we at? So I we like on, conferences.
0: I was going to say congratulations on the two talks. That's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. Never
2: submit a backup talk when you think that your first talk is just uh, 90% of the way there. And you're like, okay, I got one more. And then they both get accepted. And you, you get that on the plane back from AWS reInvent. And you're like, oh, wow, now I'm running two talks. Yeah, talk? that's
0: always how it is, too. It's you write the abstract, you've got all that in your head. You're like, I, this is how I picture this is going to be. And then, like, but there's no rarely, unless you're, unless you're giving the same talk. It maybe has like an updated version or maybe it's not maybe it's just the same talk unless you're doing that usually that's always the case right you get accepted and you're like now i have to write this now i have to actually do this work
2: yep that's a double-edged sword that. yeah that's
1: i mean that's definitely i i think that's that's happened to me before too right learn to to take the the rejection as a oh good you know i don't have to hate my past self now <laughs> because if i got accepted great i only have one thing that i need to do not four instead it was what was i thinking when i wrote this abstract this makes no sense <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> crap <laughs> how do i fit this research into that abstract
2: <laughs> they should do it they should do a talk where they, they should do a conference where everybody submits a talk and then, if you're accepted, you just get one of the other accepted
1: abstracts. Jackson, you have to figure it out. No, it. I, yeah. I, who was it? I can't remember. Sean Jackson, who helps with Hack West. That was one of the things that he always wanted to do was, here's a slide deck, go give this talk, right? Not like, yeah. so it's just like a, a fire talk idea is hey, you're kind of a security guy. Here's a topic, and see if you can go present on it. And what what will you learn, and what will they learn, right?
0: But it would have to be at a place that doesn't charge a whole lot, because oh my god, I've seen the Twitter rage when (laughs) people have said, "Oh yeah, I kind of put the last bits of this together last minute." Not saying the whole talk was done last minute, although some people said that. But like you know, last bits of it are kind of, and that people just get up in arms. They're like, "Oh, you know, if I'm paying." a thousand dollars then you know yada 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 like i don't want to hear how it's you know last minute talk and all that stuff fair point if the talk is terrible but in my experience there are wonderful talks that are put together um relatively and i'm not saying mine either i I would never say that i would say i've seen people who i know for a fact put their talks together um fairly last minute at least like put the the last bits of it the polish and all that and uh came out great. Um, It just depends on the persons, but yeah, you can't even say anymore. Like, which I guess it's a fair point. You want to have value in like a thousand dollar ticket price for sure. But like, man,
2: if the speaker is getting paid, and I mean, paid for the talk, it better be on point. But if it's, we'll cover your $500 flight and put you up here for a night. I like that. That's, that's kind of my issue, right? Like, you can pay a thousand dollars for a ticket, but if the person giving the talk is still in the the B sides mode where they're doing it for basically free, you really can't expect that much over from them because you don't know. Maybe work blew up on them. Maybe maybe they had a family issue or something, right? Like, it's it's not anything. We've all been doing this long enough. Like, if the name recognition from speaking at conferences was really a thing. All three of us would be like CISOs at like the biggest companies in the world, right? Like,
0: it's It means, yeah, it's like, it, yeah, it means not a whole lot. And what's funny is like, that's sort of what RSA sells, sells you on, I think a little bit, like name, like you said, like recognition or whatever. But like it's it's what you I mean, they put you through this rigorous process and you don't get a thing as a speaker. I mean, I'm sure they pay their keynotes, but I mean, I know they pay their keynotes. But in terms of everybody else that they put through this process, like those speakers don't get a thing, hate to bust the illusion. That's why I'm like one and done. Like I did it, but like I'm not doing it again because that was just too much work for like. For what? For what reason? I mean, it didn't change my life. Well, and, and measurable. I mean, even
1: like to your point, Ken, right? Even the the paid conference and, you know, and Jerry, like even the paid conferences like Black Hat, right? Like if you look at how much they actually pay you and how much work goes into one of those talks, it, it it's basically peanuts, right? You know, you're, you may be working for a minimum wage when it really comes down to it because it's not... Shit, like man, it, it, just the abstract, uh, writing the abstracts, not <laughs> yeah. the talk, like just getting your abstract in
0: and it being something that's maybe semi-viable to actually be like considered is a process, mm-hmm. you know, and hard work in and of itself.
1: Yep. Yeah. And that that's just what I'm saying is it's like so somebody complaining about talks that they see at one of those paid conferences, they're you know, yeah, <laughs> they don't really have a lot of room to stand on or ground to stand on, whatever you want to say. Um, now like you take that away from like a training comp conf- training. Um, and those, there's a lot more of expectations. There's a lot more expectations that go into that and a lot more that they should be expecting. Right. Cause I, I've been in trainings before that are crap that I've paid money for or my, my company has, but if it was my own money, I probably would have been a lot more upset about it. You know but yeah. anyway, so, I you know, those of us that are actually doing this, like, you know, Jerry is saying, we do put a lot of there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears. But as to when that actually happens, that's the question is how much you've how much time you have and how much time you can invest into a talk versus a training versus whatever else is going on. I'll say that
0: that's what, one thing I enjoy uh, in life right now is that, uh, you know, if I do a talk, it's not because I'm not making anybody any money. Uh, I'm not marketing. I mean, there's, that's perfectly fine to, to do that. I'm just glad I'm not having to do that right now. I'm glad that like, yeah, that's, I'm very happy right now and not having to do the speaker circuit. Uh, and if it's nice when you can do talks just cause you want to do it and it's fun, not cause like, you know, you feel the, the, feel the pressure, but, and that's sort of, I think why we all, or at least a decent percentage of people keep doing it right. Is that you, you do have to, that that is promotion. That's yeah. the reality, right? And there's nothing wrong with that, but that, you know, there, there's definitely a promotion aspect to it.
2: Well, sometimes you just want to like, on the outside of that, sometimes it's just good to share with your colleagues, right? And and the people in the community, you might not always know them, know the most, right? And like, I think that I've seen you guys all speak and it's, I don't know everything, but here's what I found, right? Like some of the best talks I've been to end up with, yeah, this didn't turn out the way I wanted to. I'm 80% there. And like, those are the kind of talks that I like to see, right? Like, and right. technical talk should be that way.
0: Yeah. There's no reason you can't have fun. And I guess that's where, that's why like now I'll be, cause I, I honest, I'll be honest. Like my, in my last gig, there were times I didn't want to be on the road. I wanted to be at home and with my family or I wasn't, I think actually that the year I spoke at RSA, we, we went out to dinner, uh, uh, Jerry, and I was deathly sick that, yeah. that that whole trip. And I still had to go and do the talk and, you know, go out to dinners and stuff like that. And, you know, and like, it, yeah, that, that was my point is that, you know, it's nice to just, and there are definitely folks, like you said, that, that are, it's, it's a mix, right. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's it's freeing to know that you can do it when you can do it just for fun. I guess what I'm trying to say.
1: Yep. Cool. Um, so Jerry, any last minute thoughts? I mean, we've been going for almost an hour and a half. I, I feel like we could do this for like three hours if we wanted to, but
2: uh, probably. Uh- call pretty quick I'm, good. I think I'm gonna go grab some pizza and start hacking on some stuff
1: all right well we'll let us know if anything pops up you know as far as you know you want us to do disclosure on it right you know yeah and talk <laughs> about
0: somebody who does stuff for fun like you're constantly breaking stuff apart it's fun to watch honestly jerry it's fun to watch and thank you for like publicizing all the stuff that you find too it's
2: always fun yeah. I i really enjoy doing it like it's I'm glad that I don't. I'm glad that I work at such a great place like Kenna that gives me gives me the freedom to spend some time on this. Right, like it's Ed and company have built a really amazing thing here, and I'm glad to be a part of this team.
0: Yeah, I know your last job. You know, like definitely you were doing a lot of this stuff, like all on the weekends and at night, and late at night, and like then also doing your day job. So it's nice that you can like you know, have have that baked into your work schedule,
1: you know?
2: Yep, for sure.
1: Cool. Well, good. Um, so it sounds like people know where they can see you as far as, you know, security stuff. I, I mean, any last minute recommendations? I think we've already talked about AWS, reInvent, um, enough. Um, yeah. Any closing thoughts before we call it?
2: No, I'm good. This has been really fun. I'm looking forward to doing this again. Hopefully we can do something around B-sides.
1: Yeah, that that sounds good. We'll we'll put it on the calendar. Um, see what Ken's got going on. What our travel schedules look like. But definitely, I think that would be fun. Um, Ken, any, anything else that we should mention before we wrap things up tonight? Well, speaking of promotions and marketing
0: and and doing stuff, no, we've got our uh, we've got our course at AppSec Cali. I did want to just mention that uh, where we're doing the uh, code reviews code review course. Um, So we've only done it at – where did we do? We did it at ABSec USA and then uh, ABSec Day in Melbourne. So this will be our third time doing it. Um, So I'm excited about it. Like I said, I only do stuff for fun now, which is really nice and freeing. And this is the one reason that uh, we keep doing it is because it is very fun. And, like, uh, the only thing I'll say is, like – because I actually did submit that. You know, we submitted that for uh, Black Hat USA. And one of the things I said about it was, like, the – uh, the second day is very interesting because the second second half of the course is all people taking all of the exercise we've put them through for the last day and a half and applying it against real world applications. And seeing those people come up and present on each, you know, they each have five minutes to present on their findings using the methodology that we gave them and had them practice. It's like it was amazing to see people over and over again in a short several hour period find uh, vulnerabilities over and over again in open source applications that are actually out there. So it's awesome. it was just cool. It, it was see, it's cool to see that it worked. So,
1: yeah, yeah, it's fun. I mean, we know we use it. It's the methodology that we use that are it, you know, as we're looking at code. So come talk to us about it, share your methodology with us as well, right? We've had a lot of uh, consultants that were in the course, especially at AppSec USA. It was interesting to kind of get their take and on on how they perform the reviews, um, but it is it is what we use to find vulnerabilities. So, so if you're going to be at AppSec Cali, you know, consider it. Um, otherwise, just come up and say hi too, right? Uh, yeah, Jerry, hang on, don't drop off as we you know wrap things up. And but thanks everybody for joining tonight. Thanks for the interactions, and we'll talk soon. Catch us online. Bye. Later.